this is the grin podcast and i am hindols and gupta i am delighted to have the podcast today a very special guest uh, gabriela bernal studied sanskrit at oriental studies department at the university of oxford where incidentally she was a student at wooster college the college that i attend at oxford and, and then she's gone on to become one of the world's most beloved singers but not just any ordinary singer she took all her learning of sanskrit that she studied at oxford and became a singer in the sanskrit language she is extremely famous and her youtube videos get hundreds and thousands of hits for some of the most beautiful renditions of ancient sanskrit shlokas uh, which she sings and produces from her studio in london gabriela bernal Thanks very much for joining us on the Green Podcast. Thank you, and it's great to be here with you. I want to begin by asking you, tell us a little bit about, of all the things that you have sung, which is your most favorite Sanskrit sloka, and why does it appeal to you? Why do you feel it has universal relevance? to tell you the truth every week there's a different sam- sanskrit shloka that speaks to me so every week there is a changing one for instance this week my favorite sanskrit shloka is from adi shankara's bhaja govinda and it begins satsangatve nissangatve tvam nissangatve nirmohatvam nirmohatve nischalata tvam nischala tatve jivan muktihi and that is my favorite sanskrit shloka this week because i was really reminded about the importance of satsanga in life because the daily physical existence presents many joys many pains many struggles many good and bad it's the realm of duality the realm of opposites and how can i remember what is most important for me in this life and satsanga the company of good people discussing um obviously hopefully beneficial texts beneficial words is what's very important to me so that's my favorite shloka this week but if you were to ask me which is my favorite of all time then i would have to say i don't have a favorite shloka of all time because i find shlokas they are exquisitely beautiful but they're still in the realm of prakriti sort of thing so my favorite sounds of all time would be the vowels of the sanskrit alphabet and making them into mantra or bija mantras and that's all that would take me home and that would be it Tell us a little bit about how you came to the world of Sanskrit because you describe it in really beautiful and poignant terms and I'm intrigued to understand how tell us a little bit about your background how did you come to be influenced by Sanskrit how did you enter this world of Sanskrit where did you grow up what were your childhood influences um, how did you approach this world It's been a completely choiceless happening. I haven't had any say in it. The only say I've had in the matter would be to try and avoid it for about 5 or 6 years, but then I came back to Sanskrit. So what happened is I was blessed or lucky or just 
this is my karma or whatever you want to call it. I was just born into a family with two parents who both have an avid interest in what is spiritual and therefore they both had an interest in Sanskrit, in shlokas, in Vedic prayers and because I happened to be born to these parents I was introduced to it from a very very early age obviously I even heard it in my mother's womb but then they sent me to a school that taught Sanskrit so from from the age four I was influenced by our Sanskrit teacher at school his name is Mr. Warwick Jessup and then we were also taught by a lady called Helen Harper and their love of Sanskrit obviously influenced me but it but it was really the love of not the just the Sanskrit language, but the love of the concepts that the Sanskrit language has the power to describe that influenced me from a very early age. And I knew that there was something in this that had the key to unlock some secrets, if you like, of the universe or also unlock um, the sort of feeling of being trapped in the physical existence and it held within it some answers. So basically at school I had the opportunity to study it and then it stayed with me because we were taught prayers and taught um, obviously like you say shlokas so these I remembered and used if you like um, in my daily life every day I would sound a prayer and even even in school I remember we took G GCSE exams and I really wanted to do well in these exams and one of the things that really helped me was that I remember someone telling me if you so sound this Vedic prayer before exams it will ha it will just help calm your mind so every night I would sound this Vedic prayer every morning and then before every exam I would sound it and that's still with me to this day and it's a regular companion amongst many many other Sanskrit passages but it's been a companion to me throughout since birth basically up till now and it will continue to be until it's no longer my purpose and what is this prayer that you just mentioned could you could you say it for us and tell us why you feel it has universal resonances well, there are so many prayers that we were taught at school and taught to remember and taught to sound, but the one specifically that I remember being taught was a good one to sound before exams. I think it might have even been my mum that told me this, because I came home to her once having visited a church somewhere in England. I said, hey, look, mum, I found this English prayer that, that I really like, and the English prayer was, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I was sounding that prayer in English, and then my mother said to me, I remember, do you know that you could sound this prayer, and that would might help you as well, and it was the very, very famous one that is, Om Bhadrang Karne Bhi Shrinuyama Devaha that prayer that is well known by everyone and the reason why that resonated with me was because during such a time as as when you are taking exams or under any period which might possibly in have stressful connotations to it what helped me through it was 
the sense of focus of withdrawing from things that didn't serve that purpose so obviously during exams I needed to really only concentrate on the subject matter so this prayer is asking may we see good things with the eyes may we hear good things with the eyes may we do good things with our body so basically asking to sort of be purified and one um, if you like have the attention one pointed only to that which is the task in hand so that's why it helped me so much I want to ask you in the in the course of your journey as a student then uh, at, at university then now as a as a singer as a teacher as a performer uh, in your day-to-day -day life um, it, it does seem to me that you have a natural inclination, should I should I say, uh, towards the meditative life. And I wonder whether you could talk to us a little bit about that, uh, about not just learning a language, but also its impact on you and your approach to a meditative life. And when you say a meditative life, could you tell me a bit more about what you mean by that? And by a meditative life, I am trying to suggest that perhaps a life which sees more dimensions that are that are you know beyond what is usually apparent to us. Uh, because I do feel that for some people, at least, um, there is there are dimensions to life which are beyond the normal course of ambition, achievement, and desire. Uh, which are, in a sense, the three pillars which seem to govern most lives. But there are um, there are emotions, there are feelings which are beyond these three dimensions. And I do feel increasingly uh, many people realize, and what we may call, or some people call spirituality. Um, and, and that, you know, people often misunderstand, I, I feel, that when somebody says I'm leading a spiritual life, they assume in India where I come from and a country that you know well, that perhaps that person has gone away to be an ascetic and, and wears saffron robes or white robes and, and has cut, or cut themselves away from, from the world in a sense. But, um, but I have seen that there are people uh, who may be entirely present in what we understand as our day-to-day -day lives in big cities and yet lead a life in a sense which is um, cut away from or at least not entirely immersed in uh, these three pillars of desire, achievement and um, and constant anxiety about desire and achievement and, and acquisition. Yes, that makes sense what you're saying and for me with the help of the Sanskrit texts and obviously the scriptures, what the Sanskrit scriptures the information they have imparted to me that gradually I realized that having studied these texts having learnt various verses or having reflected upon them gradually they become more experiential because there's always the instinct that what they say is true there's always the intuition but sometimes there's not the actual realization and as I get older and spend more time with these texts and verses what becomes apparent is that there's nothing wrong with the world 
There's nothing wrong with objects. There's everything in itself is completely neutral. There's there is the seeming play of good and bad, but actually, um, that in itself is even neutral. And for me, I can be around many people who are achieving great things. Many the busyness of the city, the materialism sometimes that seems so apparent in the rush to. Purchase things to acquire and possess more and more, but all I know is I feel deep down there's nothing wrong with that. But in me there is the some some sense of knowing through the help of the Sanskrit texts that that maybe it's easier to put it in the sense that with the constant reminder of mortality. And death, there is the feeling of there being just no need to hold on to something, and also the sense, really deep down, that there is absolutely nothing to worry about. So, with that sense, with that knowledge, there can be complete freedom. Living in a city, living in a wherever you're living, if if ultimately everything. Is playing out just as it should be, whether you have much material wealth or whether you don't, or whether you have achieved all your worldly ambitions or whether you haven't. There's nothing really good or bad about any of it. I don't know whether that helps with your question. Obviously, there's a lot more to be said on it. On it. No, I understand entirely、um, what you're alluding to, and.、Um... And I want to come to this point, and I'm glad you mentioned it.、Uh, this point of reminder of mortality. I often feel, and I wonder what you think about this.、Um, I feel one of the, you know, in a sense, one of the most interesting or one of the most enriching ideas of a spiritual life or a meditative life is the complete acceptance of the fact that we will die. And you know, billions of dollars, maybe trillions of dollars, have been spent throughout human history to teach people how to live. But I sometimes feel that、um, no one teaches people how to die, in a sense, or how to accept the fact of death. Because if there is only one fact that is irretrievably true in all our lives, no matter what else is true or untrue, it is that we will all die. And、uh, but nobody teaches you, nobody prepares you for that, nobody tells you what to think about that. But I feel a meditative life, in a sense, makes you aware of this this eventuality or this irretrievable fact, and、um, it's in a sense it's joyful acceptance. So、um, yeah, very very much. And with linking it back to the Sanskrit language, I find.、Um, The power and purity of Sanskrit mantras, or or really the sounds of Sanskrit, is they they、um, pave the way for a meditative mind. And as a meditative mind is prepared, and then obviously, ho- hopefully, the state of no mind, the more there is the sense of preparation for death. So so there can be the sense that. One could happily die in any given moment. So, if there's that sense that、um, 
like you say death can there can be something joyful in it but if there's the sense that of in the acceptance of it if there's the sense that one could happily die in any moment then then life is enriched and becomes more intensely experienced and more joyful in a way in the work that you do how much of and i wonder you're a teacher we were just talking about you giving lessons before we started this conversation and you were talking about students coming to study with you i wonder what you think in a world which has or is trying to in a sense even commercialize ideas like yoga and make them into brands do you feel that we are truly arriving at a better place of a deeper understanding of what being alive really means or do you think we are again fast converting even these ideas into something to consume and do you think there are lessons from the world of sanskrit which might help people distinguish between the commercialization or the branding of such ideas as products to be consumed and displayed versus a true deeper understanding of what it means to be alive and indeed what it means to die oh that's a very many layered question like a trifle of a question as in the english trifle you know very many layers in it so first i would have to answer what you said about me personally being a teacher and i'd link that with what the upanishad says i think it was the taitariya upanishad that says learn and proclaim that is one's duty in life whatever we learn we proclaim and then what is it to proclaim in other words it is to teach but the thing is i might have been a teacher in many guises or in some classrooms but i've never ever really thought of myself as a teacher because i feel i haven't truly truly experienced the depths of the teachings myself and only when when that knowledge goes so deep within me might i be some sort of teacher because teaching for me is not to do with any words the teaching of spiritual things anyway it it's just in a presence or in in an on an energy level so that would be my personal attitude with regards myself but um the other thing is i feel strongly that brands and commercialization and making many of these teachings into something that can be consumed that in itself nothing good or bad about it it's just it's just the way of the the um the way of the material world and i i wouldn't have any judgments on that the only thing i would say is that um when we're ready to learn something we will receive it and it could be in any form or through any person and and if a person has really experienced what they're teaching then that will be received if the person teaching hasn't really experienced what they're teaching or really understood it themselves it won't be received and so that would be my answer thus far i want to talk to you as we come to the end of this conversation a little bit about music because of course you are a singer 
uh, you sing, you not only recite Sanskrit, you not only study Sanskrit, but you sing in Sanskrit. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about the musical part of it. And um, I was first, I was first introduced to your work through a video of yours that somebody sent me via WhatsApp. And this was the this was where you were singing about the glory of Sanskrit, the language. And I was captivated because I had never heard anybody, you know, I had heard, of course, in temples, people singing in Sanskrit. But I had never heard anybody sing in, in Sanskrit quite the way in, in the manner that you were singing. And it really seemed to unlock, at least within me, perhaps a memory of many lifetimes ago of an age that really does not in many ways exist around me today. And I just felt that there, there, there was an ancient connection to this music. And I wonder, you know, how you look at your music um, and you know, the process of singing what you sing uh, and what kind of reactions you get to it. Well, how I look at it is that I know 100% if I'm connected, it's definitely not me singing. In those moments, it has absolutely nothing to do with me. So if ever there's a song that um, goes straight to the heart of someone, it's because it's come straight from the heart of me, which is nothing to do with Gabriella, my sort of embodiment in this life. It's purely a sort of service I am offering to pass the message through so often when I sing it comes in the moment and it's gone and that could never be repeated it's purely something I tune into and often like I will forget everything that's happened in the past I won't even remember what's been said because it's only in the moment if I connect to it and when sometimes I am taught a melody by a teacher, sometimes I receive, by a physical teacher I mean, or sometimes I receive the melody just in me. And it comes from uh, like maybe years, maybe days, maybe moments of reflection or being present, being still. And then in, that, in just a few seconds, the whole melody is given to me. And then I simply share it. There's nothing else, there's nothing, more to it and then it's gone the moment's gone but if it was to be repeated on some way it always requires me to tune in basically to the heart of me and sing from that place but something else that came up I just realized in relation to your previous question about the commercialization of many of these spiritual teachings was that there is a sense in me that that in a way that could be looked on as wonderful because however these messages get spread on a global level that is well it's a phenomenal thing really that um now in the west and obviously most noticeably in london or big cities around the world there seems to be a yoga studio on every corner almost just like you would have a gp or a doctor's office on every corner and whether it's commercial or not, on the one hand, that could only be a positive thing, that more and more people have access to it, whether it be through the commercial route, seemingly commercial or seemingly spiritual, it's sort of maybe doesn't matter. I want to end our conversation by asking you one last question. 
you know yes. sanskrit um the language um is i feel often misunderstood and its value is misunderstood tying it only to one part of indian history but i often feel that many of the of what sanskrit or what is being said in sanskrit has almost universal relevance and it is in a sense that wisdom transcends any geographical boundary it it, it transcends um time almost and i wonder what you feel are the relevance or the relevances of some of the things that you have happened to learn in this journey Oh, the relevances. Well, just before I come to that, you you brought to mind something that a teacher from India once said to me, and because I was expressing to him how grateful I am and always will be to India for as a country, as a land, as a people, as a society, for all that she has taught me, all that she has given me, and he turned to me and said to me, I. i or we we are custodians of this knowledge and we can only happily be custodians of it so that the whole world can share in it and i just remember being really struck by that that notion of custodians so in that sense as you say there are so many universal mm, sort of um messages and what would be one from this lineage which really has struck me or which stays with me would most probably be one that comes from the bhagavad gita but that really radiates through all traditions and cultures and that one is he who sees himself in all beings and all beings in himself he is one of steady knowledge or he knows no sorrow sarvabhutastamatmanam sarvabhutani chatmani just that sense of sameness of unity amidst the difference i want to end by asking you if there is a verse that is speaking to you particularly these days uh, at this very moment which you might want to share with us um I know you said in the beginning of this conversation that different things have appealed to you at different times of your life. Yes. Under if there is something in particular that is speaking to you with particular power at this point in time and if it might be useful for us to learn from you what that <laughs> might be. Uh yes there is very much but also I just remembered that that verse from the Gita he who sees all beings in himself and himself in all beings is he or she is the person who truly sees so that sense of what is truly seeing that is a beautiful message for me but right now the verse or passage really from Sanskrit literature that that has been sort of resonating with me at this very moment comes from the ashtanga hridaya an ayurveda text and it is kale hitam mitam bruyad avisambadi peshalam kale hitam mitam bruyad avisambadi peshalam 
And this verse is to do with speech. And it's funny because we have obviously just been having a conversation with each other, a samvada, a conversation. And this speech is such a such a strong sort of working surface for me in this life and it's something I investigate daily with regards to myself and this verse says speech should be one should speak kale at the right time at the appropriate time at the right occasion one should speak what is hitam what is good and beneficial one should speak what is mitam what is hopefully succinct <laughs> and and brief and one should speak what is avisamvadi not contradictory in other words what is concordant in the conversation and one should speak peshalam that which is pleasing that which is beautiful that which is measured and there are many passages on speech in sanskrit texts that are are really strong for me at the moment but this one was such a nice succinct a mitam a brief one and it was an example of mitam which is from the root ma meaning to be measured so that's one that is strong for me right now gabriella bernal it's been a real pleasure talking to you thank you very much for your time and i wish you from myself and from the entire green family i wish you all the great success of course the what success the word success really mean can be of course debated but i truly hope and pray that you continue in your path and you attain the bliss that in the, perhaps you see thank you for your time thank you thank you that is beautiful wish and i wish for you to the same thank you very much bye